0: chapter 4 of tarzan and the jewels of opar this librivox recording is in the public domain tarzan and the jewels of opar by edgar rice burroughs chapter 4 prophecy and fulfillment then tarzan turned his attention to the man he had not slain numa to save the negro he had merely done it in revenge upon the lion But now that he saw the old man lying helpless and dying before him, something akin to pity touched his savage heart. In his youth he would have slain the witch-doctor without the slightest compunction. But civilization had had its softening effect upon him, even as it does upon the nations and races which it touches, though it had not yet gone far enough with Tarzan to render him either cowardly or effeminate. He saw an old man suffering and dying, and he stooped and felt of his wounds and staunched the flow of blood. "'Who are you?' asked the old man in a trembling voice. "'I am Tarzan, Tarzan of the apes,' replied the ape-man, and not without a greater touch of pride than he would have had he said, "'I am John Clayton, Lord Greystoke.' The witch-doctor shook convulsively and closed his eyes. When he opened them again there was in them a resignation to whatever horrible fate awaited him at the hands of this feared demon of the woods. "'Why do you not kill me?' he asked. "'Why should I kill you?' inquired Tarzan. "'You have not harmed me. And anyway, you are already dying. Numa the lion has killed you.' "'You would not kill me?' Surprise and incredulity were in the tones of the quavering old voice. I would save you if I could, replied Tarzan, but that cannot be done. Why did you think I would kill you? For a moment the old man was silent. When he spoke it was evidently after some little effort to muster his courage. I knew you of old, he said, when you ranged the jungle in the country of Mabonga, the chief. I was already a witch-doctor when you slew Kulonga and the others and when you robbed our huts and our poison pot. At first I did not remember you, but at last I did. The white-skinned ape that lived with the hairy apes and made life miserable in the village of Mabonga the chief, the forest god, the Manango Kiwati, for whom we set food outside our gates and who came and ate it, tell me before I die, are you man or devil?' Tarzan laughed. "'I am a man,' he said. The old fellow sighed and shook his head. "'You have tried to save me from Simba,' he said. "'For that I shall reward you. I am a great witch-doctor. Listen to me, white man. I see bad days ahead of you.' It is writ in my own blood which I have smeared upon my palm. A god greater even than you will rise up and strike you down. Turn back, Menango Kiwati. turn back before it is too late. Danger lies ahead of you, and danger lurks behind. But greater is the danger before. I see— he paused and drew a long and gasping breath. Then he crumpled into a little wrinkled heap and died. Tarzan wondered what else he had seen. It was very late when the ape-man re-entered the boma and lay down among his black warriors. None had seen him go, and none saw him return. He thought about the warning of the old witch-doctor before he fell asleep, and he thought of it again after he awoke, but he did not turn back, for he was unafraid. Though had he known what lay in store for one he loved most in all the world, he would have flown through the trees to her side, and allowed the gold of opar to remain forever hidden in its forgotten storehouse. Behind him that morning another white man pondered something he had heard during the night, and very nearly did he give up his project and turn back upon his trail, It was Werper, the murderer, who in the still of the night had heard far away upon the trail ahead of him a sound that had filled his cowardly soul with terror, a sound such as he never before had heard in all his life, nor dreamed that such a frightful thing could emanate from the lungs of a God-created creature. He had heard the victory cry of the bull-ape as Tarzan had screamed it forth into the face of Goro, the moon and he had trembled then and hidden his face and now in the broad light of a new day he trembled again as he recalled it and would have turned back from the nameless danger the echo of that frightful sound seemed to portend had he not stood in even greater fear of achmet zek his master and so tarzan of the apes forged steadily ahead toward opar's ruined ramparts and behind him slunk werper, jackal-like, and only God knew what lay in store for each. At the edge of the desolate valley, overlooking the golden domes and minarets of Vopar, Tarzan halted. By night he would go alone to the treasure vault, reconnoitering, for he had determined that caution should mark his every move upon this expedition. With the coming of night he set forth, and werper who had scaled the cliffs alone behind the ape-man's party and hidden through the day among the rough boulders of the mountain top slunk stealthily after him the boulder-strewn plain between the valley's edge and the mighty granite kopje outside the city's walls where lay the entrance to the passageway leading to the treasure vault gave the belgian ample cover as he followed tarzan toward opar He saw the giant ape-man swing himself nimbly up the face of the great rock. Werper, clawing fearfully during the perilous ascent, sweating in terror, almost palsied by fear, but spurred on by avarice, following upward until at last he stood upon the summit of the rocky hill. Tarzan was nowhere in sight. For a time Werper hid behind one of the lesser boulders that were scattered over the top of the hill. But seeing or hearing nothing of the Englishman, he crept from his place of concealment to undertake a systematic search of his surroundings, in the hope that he might discover the location of the treasure in ample time to make his escape before Tarzan returned, for it was the Belgian's desire merely to locate the gold, that after Tarzan had departed, he might come in safety with his followers, and carry away as much as he could transport." HE FOUND THE NARROW CLEFT LEADING DOWNWARD INTO THE HEART OF THE COPY ALONG WELL-WORN GRANITE STEPS. HE ADVANCED QUITE TO THE DARK MOUTH OF THE TUNNEL INTO WHICH THE RUNWAY DISAPPEARED, BUT HERE HE HALTED, FEARING TO ENTER LEST HE MEET TARZAN RETURNING. THE APE MAN, FAR AHEAD OF HIM, GROPED HIS WAY ALONG THE ROCKY PASSAGE UNTIL HE CAME TO THE ANCIENT WOODEN DOOR a moment later he stood within the treasure-chamber where ages since long dead hands had ranged the lofty rows of precious ingots for the rulers of that great continent which now lies submerged beneath the waters of the atlantic no sound broke the stillness of the subterranean vault there was no evidence that another had discovered the forgotten wealth since last the ape-man had visited its hiding-place Satisfied, Tarzan turned and retraced his steps toward the summit of the kopje. Werper, from the concealment of a jutting granite shoulder, watched him pass up from the shadows of the stairway and advance toward the edge of the hill which faced the rim of the valley where the waziri awaited the signal of their master. Then Werper, slipping stealthily from his hiding place, dropped into the somber darkness of the entrance and disappeared. Tarzan, halting upon the copy's edge, raised his voice in the thunderous roar of a lion. Twice, at regular intervals, he repeated the call, standing in attentive silence for several minutes after the echoes of the third call had died away, and then from far across the valley faintly came an answering roar. Once, twice, thrice, Basuli, the Waziri chieftain, had heard and replied. Tarzan again made his way toward the treasure vault, knowing that in a few hours his blacks would be with him, ready to bear away another fortune in the strangely shaped golden ingots of opar. In the meantime he would carry as much of the precious metal to the summit of the kopje as he could. Six trips he made in the five hours before Basuli reached the kopje, and at the end of that time he had transported forty-eight ingots to the edge of the great boulder carrying upon each trip a load which might well have staggered two ordinary men yet his giant frame showed no evidence of fatigue as he helped to raise his ebon warriors to the hilltop with the rope that had been brought for the purpose six times he had returned to the treasure-chamber and six times werper the belgian had cowered in the black shadows at the far end of the long vault once again came the ape-man and this time there came with him fifty fighting men, turning porters for love of the only creature in the world who might command of their fierce and haughty natures such menial service. Fifty-two more ingots passed out of the vaults, making the total of one hundred, which Tarzan intended taking away with him. As the last of the waziri filed from the chamber, tarzan turned back for a last glimpse of the fabulous wealth upon which his two inroads had made no appreciable impression before he extinguished the single candle he had brought with him for the purpose and the flickering light of which had cast the first alleviating rays into the impenetrable darkness of the buried chamber that it had known for the countless ages since it had lain forgotten of man Tarzan's mind reverted to that first occasion upon which he had entered the treasure vault, coming upon it by chance as he fled from the pits beneath the temple where he had been hidden by Law, the high priestess of the sun-worshippers. He recalled the scene within the temple when he had lain stretched upon the sacrificial altar while Law, with high-raised dagger, stood above him, and the rows of priests and priestesses awaited in the ecstatic hysteria of fanaticism the first gush of their victim's warm blood that they might fill their golden goblets and drink to the glory of their flaming god the brutal and bloody interruption by thaw the mad priest passed vividly before the ape-man's recollective eyes the flight of the votaries before the insane bloodlust of the hideous creature, the brutal attack upon law, and his own part of the grim tragedy when he had battled with the infuriated Oparian and left him dead at the feet of the priestess he would have profaned, this and much more passed through Tarzan's memory as he stood gazing at the long tiers of dull yellow metal. He wondered if Law still ruled the temples of the ruined city whose crumbling walls rose upon the very foundations about him. Had she finally been forced into a union with one of her grotesque priests? It seemed a hideous fate, indeed, for one so beautiful. With a shake of his head, Tarzan stepped to the flickering candle, extinguished its feeble rays, and turned toward the exit. Behind him the spy waited for him to be gone. He had learned the secret for which he had come, and now he could return at his leisure to his waiting followers, bring them to the treasure vault, and carry away all the gold that they could stagger under. The waziri had reached the outer end of the tunnel and were winding upward toward the fresh air and the welcome starlight of the kopje's summit before Tarzan shook off the detaining hand of reverie and started slowly after them. Once again— and he thought for the last time. He closed the massive door of the treasure room. In the darkness behind him Werper rose and stretched his cramped muscles. He stretched forth a hand and lovingly caressed a golden ingot on the nearest tier. He raised it from its immemorial resting place and weighed it in his hands. He clutched it to his bosom in an ecstasy of avarice. Tarzan dreamed of the happy homecoming which lay before him, of dear arms about his neck and a soft cheek pressed to his. But there rose to dispel that dream the memory of the old witch-doctor and his warning, and then, in the span of a few brief seconds, the hopes of both these men were shattered. The one forgot even in his greed in the panic of terror, The other was plunged into total forgetfulness of the past by a jagged fragment of rock which gashed a deep cut upon his head. End of chapter 4